Church, please welcome my friend Spencer Smith. I didn't realize I was your mentor, John. That's really good to hear. I've got some more advice to give you, so that'll be, that'll be good. It's re- I'm really, really glad to be here. I, I was in worship um, like three years ago when you just started. Uh, we took a weekend off and came to Cornerstone in the old building, and it was like packed out. Um, and it's it just incredible. I have been rooting for you all from the beginning. I remember John talking to John on the phone, and he was telling me about this dream to start this church. And I just man, I love to see the fruition of this, this that, that's happening. And this is what's happened. And I, I just keep hearing about, uh, about this church. So I'm incredibly, incredibly uh, excited to be here just to witness uh, Cornerstone and to see what this is and to see what the Lord's doing. I'm also really honored to be able to preach in John's church. And I know it's like it's God's church, but it's also John's church. So I'm really, really, really honored to do this. John, again, has become one of my best friends. Uh, we are like night and day different at times, but um, I'm really, really honored to, to preach in his church. John, um, again, has been one of my best friends over the last, I thought it was 10 years, 12 years that, that we've known each other. Met on Twitter, which is like the only good thing in my life that's ever happened on Twitter. Um, and we talk often, about every week. I mean, I really, we talk on the phone about every week, which is honestly more than I talk to my mom on the phone. I talk to John, and I hear what's going on in, in, in the church and in uh, his life, and we, we share so much together, and so I'm really, really honored to, to, to be here. Um, and I, I bet I'm not the only person in here, and it's okay to raise your hand for this, who would say they're a better person because of John. Yeah? There's a few of you, like three of you said that, so... <laughs> That's cool. I am. And I'm a, like, I'm a better man. I'm a better husband. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better, better Christian because of his encouragement and challenge to me just week after week of talking to him. And, and, uh, and, and I just, I think about my kids. My kids, it's really interesting. My kids don't really know John, even though he's one of my best friends because we live in different towns, but they've experienced the benefit of him because like, I'm a better father because of him. So I'm, I'm really, really honored to be here, and, but I don't want to, like, this isn't just about John. He told me five minutes of compliments towards him. Has it been five minutes yet? I got more to say, um, but it's not his eulogy, so we'll hold off on that. Um, today, Philippians, if you have your Bibles, you'll definitely want to turn there, which is ironic because I didn't bring my Bible, but I'm going to ask you to turn out in your Bibles, Philippians chapter one. We're going to start this series. It's going to go June, July, August. I love kicking this off. Philippians is incredible. We're going to just read this verse by verse today, which is kind of my style of preaching. I don't like have a lot of editorializing I want to give you. We're just going to read the word and see what does the Lord teach us as we read this line by line, lifting up things as we go and just learning from the word together. And so Philippians chapter one, verse one, as we get this going, here's how it goes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to pause because we just learned three really important things. They're going to be really important as you go through this series, June, July, August. Three things. First, we just learned, this is going to sound really obvious, but it needs to be pointed out, that this is a letter. Because here's a little pro tip when you read the Bible. You need to pay attention to what you're reading because not everything in the Bible is the same. Sometimes you read letters, sometimes you read poetry that are songs or prayers, sometimes you read historical stories, sometimes you read apocalyptic end of the world kinds of stories, and they're all different, and they they need to be read differently. So this is a letter, and so one of the things that we have to realize as we read through this letter is that this was written by a real person to real people 
who were going through real struggles and had real questions and lived in a real place in a real time. Like we are reading someone else's mail and we have to be understanding that there's all kinds of context to this that Paul's writing about because this is, this is a letter. And so we need to hold on to that. The second thing we, we, we learned here is that this is written by Paul and Timothy. And of course, Paul wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. Two of them were written to Timothy. And so he writes a lot of letters in the New Testament. And if you know his story at all, his story is of radical transformation in his life. Radical transformation, which he will write about in Philippians chapter 3. You'll probably get there around July 15th, I'm guessing, based on the summer works. I mean, it's just radical transformation. And the third thing you, you, you got to realize is that this is written, again, real people, real place, real time, to a city of the Christians who live in the city of Philippi. And Philippi is a real place. It's a city in Greece. It's a, it's, a, it's a real place that existed. It was, a, in Paul's day, a Roman colony, former military installation. I wonder, has anyone spent much time or been around like a military town? Anyone? My wife's from this little town in Texas that's near a military town. And I, I don't know how to describe military towns, but they're just, they're just different. Like, there's no judgment at that whatsoever. They're just, they're just different. Like, you think about 50,000, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds, military connection. It's just like it's just a different kind of place, different kind of context than you might find in, in a different kind of town. It's just different. It's unique. It's, it's special. And this is this Philippi. It's a former uh, uh, military installation. All these veterans are there. These military connections are there. And, and since it's a Roman colony, all these folks are Roman citizens, which is really important because they're receiving the benefit of being Roman citizens. Or let me say that differently as we say it today. They're, they've got the privilege of being Roman citizens, the wealth, the status, the opportunities that come with Roman citizenry. In other words, they're not down and out kind of people. This is, this is not the, the audience of this. This is, this is folks who, who have it together, the Roman citizens. They've got their life together. And so we, we connect all these dots. And the reason Paul's writing this letter is because he started this church. He's their John Odom. He started the church. He led some of them to the Lord. Like, this is, this is his story. And, and I remember when, when John started Cornerstone, I don't know who was here at the beginning, but when John started Cornerstone, I remember talking to him one day. I was in the basement of my house. I remember where I was when I had this conversation. And I said, John, how are you going to start the church? Like, what's your strategy? And he said, we're going to pray. I said, that, that's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to go get new people? How are you going to invite people? What's your evangelism strategy? Like, what's your marketing going to look like? And I'm like, no, no, we're going to, like, do prayer meetings yeah, yeah, like, I know you're going to pray, but like, what are you going to do? How are you actually going to get people here? What are you going to do? He's like, no, we're, we're going to pray. And I was like, like, wink, wink, I get it. You're going to pray. What are you going to do? Like, he started with prayer meetings, and I thought it was crazy. I did not understand it at all. And then like, it works. <laughs> Turns out, it works. This is what Paul did when he started the church in Philippi, Acts 16. Go read it later. He started with a prayer meeting. He was looking for a place to pray. He meets this woman. Her name is Lydia. She's very wealthy. He, he leads her to the Lord. She believes the message. He, she opens her home for the church to start meeting in her house. She's the first European convert. I mean, it's incredible. The second uh, person who joins their church, the second member is a slave. The third member is a jailer. Like, it's an incredibly diverse place that, that this church is that, that, they've, that they've established. But it started in the same kind of way. It's, a, it's this prayer meeting. Now, I wanted to say all of that to say this. Paul is not a stranger to these people. He knows them. And as you read through Philippians for these three months, you've got to keep that in your minds. He knows these people. He knows their names. He knows their victories. He knows their struggles. He knows their questions. He knows what it is that they're going through. He knows what life is like there. He has been their pastor. He's not the guest preacher of the day. Like He's with them week after week after week. He, he knows them. This is so incredibly important, which leads me to the next verse, verse 3. 
He says, I thank my God every time I remember you because I know you. I know your names. I know what you go through. I know your struggles and your victories. I've been your pastor. I know you. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Now, if you're reading from your own Bibles, that's a word you need to circle, joy, because throughout uh, Philippians, you're going to see this theme of joy, joy or rejoicing or just the idea of joy in general is going to be present over and over and over again in this book. So joy, just hold on to that word joy. Keeps going here. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, again, here's a word to hold on to, confident, hold on to that word, confident. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That God's going to finish this work, that God is faithful. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. I know you, and it's right for me to feel this way about you, since I, I have you in my heart, like hear the relationship there. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel... All of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, catch that phrase we read. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. When Paul writes this, he is in chains. He's in a Roman prison. He, he's, 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 again, remember, a real person in a real place in a real time with real struggles and real questions. And Paul is in a Roman prison writing this. And he's facing his death. Later in the book, he'll write words like, for, to me to live is to for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like he's talking about his death because this is what he's facing in this Roman prison. And I, I, I just, I, I find that fascinating that, that as he's writing this like goodbye letter to this church, he writes about, what was that word I asked you to hold on to? Joy. Oh my goodness. Like this doesn't make sense. He's facing an incredibly scary situation in a Roman prison in chains, facing his execution, and he's writing about this joy. And it's not like you're going to see it one time. You're going to see it over and over and over in this letter. There is this sense of joy that he has within him, even though the circumstances that he's facing are anything but joyful. He should be writing about grief and sadness and anxiety and worry, and yet he's writing about, about joy, which brings me to that other word I asked you to hold on to. What was that other word? Confident. Confident. And don't miss it. These two words are connected. It's like a joyful confidence is what he has. And this confidence he has is, is, is based in something very specific. It was being confident of this, that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion. Being confident of this, to kind of sum that up in a different way, that God is faithful. That God doesn't give up on you. That God finishes what he starts. That God doesn't abandon you. That God doesn't leave you alone. That God doesn't just like wipe his hands of you and be like, hmm, good luck. That's not what God does. No, 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 no. God is faithful I've got this joyful confidence because, because God is faithful. How good is that? I mean, that's so encouraging to me and also so incredibly challenging because it doesn't take very much reflection for me to realize that if I was writing this, it would not have been that. <laughs> I would have been like, I'm confident of this, guys. I know I'm saying goodbye. I know this is a hard letter, but here's my confidence. I'm confident of this that you all are going to be okay because I mean, you all are really smart. And... Uh, you read the books I told you to read about, those leadership books, right? You read Good to Great. You read Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person. Like, you read all those things, right? You've read the reading list. Hopefully, you're still listening to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. You're still doing those things. I'm confident of this. You've got good leaders. You're smart. You're learning things. You're going to figure things out as you go. I'm confident of this, that you'll be okay. Or I might have been like, I'm confident of this, that you all are financially healthy. You've paid off the debt. 
you've, you've got good savings, you're still doing the Dave Ramsey thing, right? You're still doing Dave Ramsey, so you're going to be just fine because you've got this nest egg, you've got this, this net to catch you, you know, when things get stormy. So I'm confident of this, that, that financially you're going to be just fine. And like, if I was writing this, this is how I would have written it because that's how most of us face the future, is, is we think about things like that. Like, do I have the resources to handle life when life gets stormy? Do I have the net or do I have the ability to figure out the, the answers to the solutions I'm, I'm struggling with? Because for, what happens with most of us is when life gets scary and the, and the circumstances around us get scary, like, I don't know, a Roman prison or a global pandemic or a health diagnosis or a job situation that's un, um, unsettled or all kinds of things, a relationship that's starting to fall apart. Like when life gets scary and we start to face these circumstances that are scary, most of us look to a kind of circumstantial kind of confidence, a circumstantial kind of confidence that's, that's based on really, I think, three things. What can I see? What can I understand? What can I control? And as soon as life gets outside of those three things, it's like, oh my goodness, things are scary. And so we have this circumstantial kind of confidence. As long as my circumstances are good, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm sleeping at night. I'm joyful. I'm not snapping at my kids too often, maybe a little bit, but not too often. Like life is good. But if my circumstances get bad and I, I start to see bad things or there's things I can't understand or things I can't control, ow, oh my goodness, all kinds of other anxieties start to rise up. It's a circumstantial confidence. It's a confidence that's just based on my circumstances. It reminds me of what Jesus said in um, Matthew chapter 25. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25? He said this. He said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Is not life more than those things that you get stressed out about all the time? Is not life more than that? He goes on. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? They're birds for crying out loud. And God takes care of them. They're nothing. And look at you. You are valuable. You were created in his image. He gave his own son for you. So look at the birds. They're fine. God takes care of them. He will take care of you because you are valuable to him. You are his beloved. He gave his son for you. He loves you. He, he treats you a favor and goodness. This is how he is for you. Like, why would you worry? He keeps going. Verse 27, Jesus says, can any of you by worrying... At a single hour to your life, and I know this is a rhetorical question, but just for the sake of clarity, what's the answer to this question? No. Sometimes it's helpful just to say that out loud. No. You can't add any time to your life by filling it with more and more worry. No. He goes on, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, let me say that differently. For those who don't know how valuable they are to God, they run after all these things. And your heavenly, listen to the word here, Father, 
He knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow you'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's really tempting to hear Jesus say something in that passage that he's not really saying. Because it's really tempting to hear Jesus say in that passage that you need to, like, chill out. You need to, like, de-stress. You, you need to do some self-care and uh, take, like, a mental health day. And all of those things are important. Don't, don't, don't mishear me. Like, those things are all really important. If you don't tend to your mental health, you will go off the edge. But, like, you've got to tend to those things. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about something deeper than that. Because Jesus is talking about why you don't need to worry. He's talking about why worry is a waste of time in your life. And the reason for this is really simple. Did you catch what it was? It's because God is good. That's why. Because God is good. And you are valuable to him. God is good and you're valuable to him. I mean, he takes care of the birds for crying out loud and the flowers. He's going to take care of you because he is good and you are valuable to him. And, and, and as, you, as you dwell on that, you're going to live in, the, in a way of, of above this, this, this anxiety because, because he is good and you are valuable to him. And I can prove that you are valuable to him. I can prove it. And the proof is really, really simple. It's the cross. The fact that he would give his own son as a sacrifice for you to have life, eternal life, abundant life, full life. Like the fact that he would give himself for you and that you, and that you would then receive that and trust in that in your life. Like why would you just, why would you trust that God has given his own son for you but then not trust him to take care of the details of your life? That doesn't make any sense. Like if you could trust him for your, your eternal life, if you can trust him to forgive you of your sin, if you can trust him for that, you can trust him for everything. He is good. And he, and he, and he, sees you with favor and joy and love and he, he sees you and you are valuable to him so how can you not trust him with all of your life but this is what this is what anxiety does though this is what worry does this is what circumstantial confidence does is it is it distracts us from the goodness of god it distracts us from what god is up to it distracts us from the truth of what Christ has done for us, that we no longer trust in that. Instead, we start to look at all the circumstances around us and judge our confidence on the future based on what things look like, what we can control, and what we can understand. This is how this starts to work in our, our lives. It reminds me of this really old story. I, I wish it was my story. It's definitely not. I don't even know where the story comes from, but it's a, it's a made-up story about something that happens in the Bible. It's an old rabbinical story. And uh, it's about the, the people of Israel. So remember the story of the people of Israel in, in Exodus, where they are slaves in Egypt for 400-something years, and God sends Moses, and um, Pharaoh says no, keep saying no, keep saying no, keep saying no. And then finally he says yes, and the Israelites leave slavery, and then Pharaoh changes his mind again, and he sends the army to go get, you know the story, of course. And the Israelites are, are camped on the banks of the Red Sea when the Egyptian army is coming after them. And the Bible says that um, when the waters of the Red Sea part that the Israelites walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. But the rabbis had the story about these two brothers who were with the crowds of Israelites as they walked through the sea on dry ground. And the rabbis started to ask themselves, they started to say, what if, like it wasn't fully dry? Like, like maybe it's mostly dry. Like maybe imagine like what happens at low tide. It's like it's mostly dry, you can walk on it, but it's also kind of muddy. And so the rabbis used to tell this story about these two brothers who were walking across this like mostly dry seabed. And one brother, his name is Reuben, he turns to his younger brother, his name's Simon, and he says, it's a lot muddier than I thought it'd be. And Simon looks back at his older brother, Reuben, and he says, gosh, I just got these sandals. 
Remember, like, I, I just feel like if Moses had planned this, like, a little bit better, like, we, we, surely there's a way around the Red Sea. We wouldn't have to walk through the Red Sea. Like, we could have camped in a different spot. Like, surely if we had just planned this a little bit better, I don't know what the leaders are doing all the time, but I feel like we should probably hold them accountable for what they're doing. And, and then Simon's like, you know what? Man, if I wanted to walk in, in mud, I could, I could have walked in Egypt. I could have walked in mud in Egypt. And the two brothers keep talking um, about this mud that they're walking through all across the Red Sea with the crowds of people. And all the while, they miss the walls of water that are on either side of them. And so eventually, they get up onto the other side of the banks of the Red Sea. And as they're there, they see the Israelites starting to praise God and celebrate for this miraculous event that they just saw and the brothers look at each other like, what in the world are they, are they praising God about? Because, because they just missed the miracle in the midst of their focus on mud. This is what anxiety does. It draws us to what's wrong or what, let's be honest, might be wrong or might someday be wrong. Because sometimes in our sleeplessness, we're not really focused on reality. We're just focused on maybe what could happen to us someday down the road. And Jesus is offering us this invitation, like, hey, you don't have to dwell in all of that. Dwell instead in the goodness of God. Dwell instead in the, in the truth that you were valuable to him. Dwell instead in this invitation that he will take care of you, even when the circumstances around you look scary. I think about Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, in chains, writing this goodbye letter to these people he loves joyful confidence. How does he do that? Because he knows God is faithful. He knows that God's not going to leave them. He knows that God is at work among them. He knows that God is going to finish what he started because he knows that God is, is good. There's this invitation to us that, that we can focus on all of the things that are wrong or might be wrong or might someday be wrong, and we're going to miss what it is that the Lord is doing all around us, or we can turn our attention and remember the goodness of God. Remember that he loves us, that he's for us, and that we are valuable to him. So let's go back to Philippians. And uh, he wraps up this section, Paul wraps up this section with a short prayer. And here's how the prayer goes. He says, this is my prayer. That your love, that is the Philippians' love, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Like you can see things more clearly. He goes on and says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so this, uh, this morning as we close, or I close with you, you're going to have communion in just a second, but as we close our time together, I want to I pray this prayer over us today because I, I would imagine that there are some of us here who feel like the circumstances are beyond us. Um, maybe there's health. Maybe it's just the anxiety of the world. Maybe there's job stuff. Maybe there's family stuff. Maybe there's re relationship stuff. There's all kinds of things that get beyond what we can control and understand. I just want to offer you a word of encouragement if that's you today. God is for you. He loves you. He is good, and you are valuable to him. Hold on to that truth. Be encouraged that this is the truth of the gospel, that he gave his own son for you, so therefore you can trust him with everything. And, and, and with this, let me, let me pray this prayer over us today, and, and if that's you, just, just maybe accept some of these to yourself and say, I, I need this to be true for me. So again, this is the prayer from Philippians 1. 
And I just want to pray, Lord, that, um, that Cornerstone's love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That this church and everyone here, that, that we might understand and walk in the truth of the gospel so that they may be able to discern what is best. They're not going to be distracted by all the things that could go wrong. They're going to be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ because you're going to hold them until the end. And they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.